Have you ever felt like your life was a mess? Our operative question for today, the sermon title is How to Fix a Messy Life. If you've ever felt like this title implies, like your life was a mess, let's look at our scripture for today and learn how to fix a messy life. A friend of mine, a pastor, was approached by a member of his congregation. She came to him and she said, my life is a mess, my marriage is a wreck, and my husband is an idiot. And my friend responded, well, you married him. My friend is no longer in the ministry, but the woman's concern is one that fits for where we are. I relate well to her frustrations. I understand, and I'm sure you do, those seasons in our lives where we feel like everything is sort of caving in around us. Those, those moments, those seasons, those times where we just feel at wit's end. We've lost all resources, emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, to deal with the crisis we feel like we're facing. It could be a family situation. It could be a work situation. It could be something that, that emerges out of, out of the context of our, our community or whatever it is that we're dealing with. Like right now, COVID-19 and coronavirus, we are, many of us, overwhelmed with what comes next. How do we deal with life as it is unfolding in this very unpredictable way? It's a strange time now, but it's not unusual in the sense that from Bible times all the way through now and into the future, there are these moments where we can't predict what has happened. We can't exactly understand what lies ahead, and yet we have to move step by step through what it is we're experiencing in the moment. How to fix a messy life. Here are our three steps for today, how to fix a messy life. Remember who, recognize what, and realize how. Remember who. Remember who has helped you. Remember who's been there for you. For me, I know it's remembering those people who have been my heroes, those folks who stepped in and given me that extra word of encouragement, who have helped guide me through difficult times in my life, those people who've just simply been there for me, the folks who've helped me. In our passage for today, it comes from the third chapter of, of Exodus, but really it starts with the first chapter of Exodus. And that is a, a couple of heroes, several heroes actually, that emerge out of those pages that, that made Moses, at least started to help make Moses who he was, to give him the, the, the gifts that he ended up having. Uh, Shithra and Pua are two names that just sort of come out of that first chapter of Exodus. Uh, Moses probably never knew them, may not have ever interacted with them at all, but they were midwives, Hebrew midwives who were decreed from Pharaoh. Because the Hebrew children are becoming too numerous, we need to get rid of the babies that are, that are, that are 
coming now in this generation. So he instructs these Hebrew midwives, destroy, that is kill, the Hebrew babies that you birth. Get rid of them. We've got too many. Uh, kill the male babies. Now this is going to be echoed again in the second chapter of Matthew, when of course you remember Herod the Great gives a very similar decree, which is Matthew's way of paralleling Pharaoh in Exodus and Herod in Matthew. It is also paralleling Moses in Exodus and Jesus in Matthew. Jesus is going to be the new Moses, bringing the new law, liberating the new people. But for us in Exodus, this first chapter, Shithra and Pua become the quiet heroes that start out really in a very risky endeavor where they defy Pharaoh's decree. They birth Moses. They save him from the horrible uh, thing that, that Pharaoh has given as the mandate. Kill these Hebrew baby boys. Shithra and Pua refuse. They birth Moses. They hide him. And Jochebed, Moses' mother, now becomes the next hero, the other one that helps in this story, this, this person who makes possible Moses' ultimate use by God. Miriam, Moses' sister, also is a hero in this story. She steps out of the bulrushes where Moses was hid. He was in this uh, basket of reeds covered with, with tar floating in the, in the water. And the, the daughter of the Pharaoh comes down for her bath. She steps into those bulrushes. She and her handmaidens stumble upon this, this basket uh, floating in the water with Moses in it. Miriam comes rushing out and says, hey, would you like to have a nursemaid to care for this baby? It turns out the daughter of the Pharaoh wants to keep this little boy. So now we've got another hero of the story, an unnamed princess, the daughter of the Pharaoh, who you know had to have realized the decree that, that Pharaoh has given that these Hebrew babies are supposed to be killed. This is a baby boy. She surely knows that this is now in defiance of her father's wishes. And yet she takes this baby out of the water. She listens to Miriam. She allows Miriam to connect her with Jochebed as the nursemaid, the mother of Moses. So there's in a way kind of this family reunion. And in fact, the daughter of the Pharaoh even elects to pay Jochebed as the, the mother. So in a very clever ploy from Jochebed's standpoint and this heroic stance of Miriam and the defying stance of the daughter of the Pharaoh, they all in a way kind of conspire to go against the decree of the day that the Pharaoh has established. This idea of remembering who remembering those people that have helped us, lifted us, taken us into the next chapter of our lives, ushered in a sense of wisdom and hope and skill, whether they be teachers or church people or youth leaders or coaches or uh, any number of people in our lives who have helped us hone a skill, develop a hobby, uh, piano teachers, guitar teachers, 
um, I think all of us can probably reflect pretty quickly on a number of folks over the years that have impacted our lives in powerful ways. When we think about how to fix a messy life, step one is just to remember who has helped us. Remember those heroes in our lives, and they may not be just personal heroes. Think about the people who have uh, helped our country, helped our neighborhood, helped our community, the people that have really shaped who we are and what we stand for, people that have, have been heroes in our local church or the, the broader church as a whole. These are crucial questions as we remember who and how to fix a messy life. The first step is just to simply step back and, and recall the many ways that our lives have been blessed and enriched by those who have gone before us. Remember who. Recognize what. Now those people who've gone before us also would have gone through messiness in their lives. They would have gone through difficulties. And I'm sure in, in every case, they somehow figured out a way to move beyond and step out of the messiness that they were experiencing, to do the good things that ended up blessing us and enriching us. So this second part of our formula, this biblical movement, is to recognize what? Now Moses, as we move through chapter 1 into chapter 2, preparation for chapter 3, in chapter 2, Moses is just sort of in a wilderness, literally in a wilderness. He is in the land of Midian. This is the Sinai Peninsula. In the Sinai Peninsula, it is desert. It is rocky, uh, a land where Moses has fled because he, he, he killed a guy. He killed a, a soldier of the Pharaoh, uh, standing up, in fact, for uh, the Hebrew slaves. And Moses' life is an interesting puzzle because he goes from, from being a, a son of Hebrew slaves to being adopted by the daughter of the Pharaoh, and he grows up in the palace. So one of the ways we can fix our messy lives is to recognize what. What gifts have we been given? We need to remember who has helped us and what they've done for us. But now we need to recognize what it is that we have, the things in our lives that have been given to us, passed on to us, what we have developed over the years that perhaps God can use in some important ways. Now, this is, this is what happens to Moses. He's in this kind of wilderness experience. He's fled. He's in exile. He has married Zipporah. He is sort of living this existence for a long time of sort of nowheresville. I mean, he is literally surrounded by nothing. And in fact, he has a son with Zipporah, and together they named this son, I am an alien in a foreign land. Gershom is the name of his son. And, and it, the translation is right there. Moses names his son for how he feels. I am an alien in a foreign land. I'm a nobody. I am surrounded by nothing. There is nothing more I can really contribute to the world or those around me. It's in this condition that, that God comes to Moses and calls him. It is imperative for us as we think about how to fix a messy life to think about what is it that I have? 
what do I have now that I have cultivated through my life or have have had given to me from these people that have impacted my life? What is it that I can can contribute to the broader world? Well, Moses, when when called by God now in the third chapter, Moses' immediate reaction is, who am I? I mean, what are you thinking? Uh, whoever you are, and by the way, Moses had no idea who was confronting him in this burning bush in the third chapter of Exodus. Uh, Moses goes, who are you exactly? And this great tetragrammaton word emerges out of the fire. It is Yahweh, Yahweh, the unpronounceable, I am who I am. Which, by the way, this phrase, I am, is, is used throughout scripture. Uh, each of the patriarchs use this phrase, I am, here, here I am. Moses says, when God calls him out of the fiery bush, here I am. But God flips this script, and, and when Moses says, who are you? God's response is, Yahweh, I am who I am. Jesus will use this also in the New Testament, especially in Matthew. I am, I am, uh, here I am. So this is a very scriptural moment where in this, in this emergence of Moses' new sense of calling and identity, he is confronted with Yahweh, I am who I am. And his response is, well, you are who you are, but I am nobody. I've got nothing to give. I've got no talents to share. There is nothing and no way you can use me because I've got nothing. I am nothing. I live in a nowhere place. And I think you need to look for somebody else. For many of us, is a very common response. And what is beautiful about this three-step process, remembering who has enriched our lives and contributed to our journeys, recognizing what. What do we have? Now, Moses is unique in the sense that he was a slave. He was born of a, a, a Hebrew family in slavery, and yet he was adopted by the Egyptian princess, the daughter of the Pharaoh, and he grows up in the palace. He is given a number of gifts, apparently, in the sense that he would have received a very good education. He would have been surrounded by a number of people who could have tutored him in all kinds of ways of leadership and uh, maybe even uh, learning how to, 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 to fight and to be. Who knows what, what all was cultivated in that palace arena. But Moses comes out of that well-trained, and he speaks Egyptian, which is key because when God calls him and he says, I, I'm nobody, I got nothing to give, uh, God says, you're going to speak to, to Pharaoh. And Moses goes, well, I don't know about that. Yes, Moses, you're the perfect connection because you can relate to the Hebrews because you come from them, but you also can relate to the Egyptians because you grew up with them. You grew up in the palace. You speak fluent Egyptian. You are somebody. You are more than you realize, which is true for every one of us. Now, it's fascinating in this last little piece of part two here that Moses actually uh, tries to argue with God in the final point when 
when God says, look, I, I really need you to do this for me, Moses says, listen, I am slow of speech. I can't go to the Hebrew people and tell them that you have come to me and I'm going to release them from bondage because I am slow of speech. Now, I grew up, probably you did too, thinking this meant that he had a speech impediment. He had a stuttering problem. There was something wrong with the way he spoke. But that's not what Moses says, and that's not what the Bible means. What Moses seems to be saying is, I grew up in the palace. I can't communicate in Hebrew like I need to. I am slow of speech because Hebrew is a second language to me. And God's response is perfect. God goes, that's fine. You can speak to Pharaoh. You can talk to the Egyptians. Your brother Aaron is fluent in Hebrew. He will talk to the Hebrew people. You will talk to the Egyptian people. We got this thing covered, Moses. It's going to be all right. Recognize what? What gifts do you have? What is unique about you that God can use in this moment in time? And so our final point, realize how. Realize how God can use you and me right now. There are a lot of people in our church and in our community that are wrestling with this right now. Lots of people feel like life is really messy, like their life in particular is really messy. But there are also a number of folks, heroes in my mind, who are coming to the conclusion that God can use me and what I have right now. They are realizing how they can help. This is a crucial time in the life of our country, in the life of our church. And we have a number of people who are saying, you know what? I'm good at talking to people. I can call up some folks in our church that I know are probably really lonely right now and having a difficult time. I can help. There are a number of people who are saying, you know what? This is a hard time for folks financially right now. A lot of people are losing their jobs or they're having their hours cut back or they're struggling with, with uh, how they might buy food or care for their families. And it just so happens the stock market has been doing really well lately and I have extra money. I'm retired. I've got all I need. I can help. This is what I can do. I can contribute more to my church and especially to our assistance ministry and benevolence fund that is available to help people who are struggling. That's exactly what we need right now. And that's how I can help. Uh, I've got a little extra. I'm not going to let my church uh, not be able to help these people. I want to support my church staff. I don't want anyone to be laid off. I'm going to help a little bit more. This is happening right now. People are saying this. And, and so for us to to fix our messy lives by allowing God to inspire us and help us to remember who has helped us in the past, to help us recognize what I have right now that I can use so that I can realize how I can help. Moses tried to get out of it, and, and this creative song that comes next as Daniel begins to lead us into this beautiful rendition of Moses helps us recall as the music is starting how easy it is to push aside God's call to us, how creative we can be in figuring out excuses, and yet how beautiful it can be when we say yes to God's calling in our lives. May you remember who, may you recognize what, and may you realize 
with Moses. How? Thanks be to God. Amen.